0: go ahead and be seated. No matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on in our world, we can say it is well with our soul. We can say it is well with our soul because we have a great Savior who saves redeems sinners by his grace for his glory. What a Savior we have. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can say it is well with our soul. In the midst of all of the things that we are troubled by, and all the things that trouble our world, we thank you that we can declare and sing and celebrate the fact that you've redeemed us, that all of our sin, not just a few of our sins, but all of our sin has been nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Thankful that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and Lord, we thank you in particular this morning for your faithfulness. You have been faithful for ages and ages, decades and centuries. We thank you also in particular that you have been faithful to this church for 75 years. We thank you, Lord, for that group, that handful of Christians who gathered at this location on July 6, 1947. We thank you for the faith that you gave them to start this work, to plant this church. And we thank you for countless thousands of others who have by faith gathered here, who have by faith given, who have by faith served, who have by faith built relationships. And we we just stand on their shoulders and we thank you for them. And Lord, we pray that in the midst of our celebration, you would remind us of our part of our role in your grand plan to build your church and to. Allow your church to be the vehicle that displays your glory to all of creation. Lord, what we are part of this morning is more significant than we'll ever realize. And so Lord, help us just to see a glimpse of how significant this is. Pray that you'd open your word to us. We are submitted to your word. We are bending our ear to your truth. And so we pray, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth pray that you would help us to celebrate well. I pray that you'd help us to celebrate with faith and joy and resolve to honor and trust you all the days of our life. We'll give you ourselves. We pray you'd help us to listen now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, 75 years is a long time. I mean, think about it. In 1947, Miller Heights Baptist Church was planted in this neighborhood. I guarantee you no one was thinking about what this church would look like in 75 years. They planted something that has grown to be a healthy and joyful body of believers that continues to proclaim the glory of Jesus in the gospel. Today is ultimately about God's faithfulness. Today is ultimately a declaration that God has been faithful and we can see his faithful, faithfulness in really particular ways. You saw that video and all the familiar faces of people who have been through this church, who have served this church, who have loved this church, and just reminder that God is faithful again and again and again. But it's also a celebration of all those faithful members and leaders who have served this church so selflessly, who have given so generously, who have loved so lavishly in this church over the past 75 years. As I watched that video and I saw the various ways that people were serving and this picture was captured of them and now put in a video, it's like, it's like that times 10 million of all the ways, all the pictures that could have been taken in 75 years of people who are just quietly loving others, giving sacrificially, serving in ways that no one took a picture of, no one noticed. All the ways that people have loved. This this is a celebration of what God has done, His grace to make us who we are today and what He will make us in the future. So today is a celebration of the past, but it's also in my mind a, a, a desperate plea For God to continue the good work that He started here 75 years ago or until the Lord returns. Hopefully they give us another 75 years or until the Lord Jesus returns, which we say, come Lord Jesus. Well, it's to that end, this desperate plea, this desire to continue this good work that God has started, that if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. And I want to focus on just one verse this morning. One promise. The promise in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. In order to get the full context, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 and read all the way through verse 21. And so let's pay careful attention to the Scripture this morning. This is the Word of God. Matthew says, verse, chapter 16, verse 13. "Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" And they said, "Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." He, Jesus, said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" And Simon Peter replied. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ verse 21 from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day, be raised. Well, it's a sad truth that many churches today are more aware of what they do not have than what they do have. It's very easy for us to focus on the things we don't have that we wish we did have. Every church hopefully has wishes of things that they, they wish were, were, they were making more of an impact for the kingdom of God or for God's glory. They wish they had more people or resources or facilities or leadership to accomplish their mission and their purpose. But I've learned that when we focus on what we don't have, it's tempting to be discouraged and concerned about the future of our church, about the future of the church. And when we're focused on what we don't have, it's incredibly hard to be thankful for what we do have. And so church family, instead of trying to address all of the things that we don't have, what I want to do this morning is help us focus on what we do have. Because I believe what we have is more than enough. Because what we have is a promise from Jesus Christ, the glorious and breathtakingly beautiful Son of God. Miller Heights Baptist Church, Jesus is more than enough for us. He is totally sufficient to meet every desire we have. He's totally sufficient to meet every need we have for the future of this church, for the future of our lives. So on this important Sunday in the life of our church, I just want to set our sights on the massively encouraging promise in verse 18. I want us to feel the significance of what we are part of as members of a local church. And I hope that one of the effects of this promise is that we're given fresh passion and vision to love and serve Jesus' church for the rest of our lives. Notice the promise in verse 18 again. Jesus says, I will build My church. I will build My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus promises to build His church. And He promises that nothing not even death and hell itself will be able to stop His plan for His church. Friends, this is what we should all want to see as believers in Jesus. We should all want to see Jesus' church established and nourished and grown and built and making an impact in this world. We should all desperately want to see this promise come to pass in our lives to see the church enduring and flourishing and Being built as Jesus promised. Now, let's let's make sure that we don't get confused here. The church of Jesus is not a building. A church may gather in a particular building like this one, but the church is not the building itself. The church is the people of God who've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus who organize themselves to accomplish God's purposes in this world. And so when Jesus promises to build His church, He's not talking about hammer and nails. He's not talking about brick and mortar. He's talking about His plan to rescue sinners and gather them into His family through His sacrificial death and through His victorious resurrection. In fact, we see that in verse 21. That's why I included verse 21 in that reading. Jesus promises to build His church and then immediately following that, He shows His disciples how He's going to build His church. He says, I'm going to build my church, and then He shows how He's going to build it. How is He going to build it? Notice He says that He must suffer and be killed and rise from the dead. Jesus says it is through His death and resurrection that He's going to accomplish this promise. That He's going to ensure that this promise is fulfilled. The gates of hell will not prevail against His church because Jesus rips the power of sin and death and hell from our hearts, from the hearts of His people, and He adopts us into His own family, which we call the church. And so Jesus says some pretty amazing things in this passage about the church here in Matthew 16. In fact, let me draw your attention to four truths from this passage that I hope provide massive encouragement for us to love the church more faithfully. I hope these truths... Help us to rejoice today in what God has been doing for 75 years here at Miller Heights Baptist Church and what He will continue to do in and through us until He comes. Now, before we meditate on these four truths, just notice the context of this promise. Jesus and His disciples are in Caesarea Philippi and they are discussing what the crowds have been saying about Jesus the crowds are saying you, you might be John the Baptist or you might be Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But in verse 15, Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them a very pointed and important question. Jesus asks them, but who do you say that I am? Okay, you know what the people are saying about me, but who do you say that I am? And really a more important question does not exist. In fact, every person He's going to have to answer this question. Every person is going to have to face this question. What do you say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? You know what He claims to be. You know who He claims to be. But what do you say about Jesus? Well, Peter responds in verse 16 with a statement about the glory of the person and work of Jesus. Notice Peter is ready to declare, you are the Christ They're saying you're Elijah or or Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but but you're the Christ. That is, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for, Jesus. Christ is not just Jesus' last name. It's a title. It's a declaration of, of who He is and what He came to do. He's the fulfillment of all the promises for the Messiah. That's what Peter's saying. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And in verse 17, Jesus pronounces a blessing on Peter. And the blessing is, Peter, you didn't come up with this on your own. Like, you didn't figure this out by logical deduction, Peter. You weren't taught this as a little child. No, God revealed this to you, Jesus says. The Father has given this revelation to you. And by saying that, Jesus is saying, that answer's correct. That's who I am. And then in verse 18, Jesus responds to Peter's confession when He says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so notice four encouraging truths from this promise in verse 18. Here's number one. Jesus is the great builder of the church. Jesus is the great builder of His church. Notice that Jesus emphasizes That he is the one who builds the church. I will build my church. I will build it. Not it will be built, not someone will build it, but I, Jesus says, will build my church. Jesus is the architect, Jesus is the owner, the author, the designer, the builder of his church. He doesn't say Peter is the builder of his church. Missionaries are not the builder of the church. Paul was not the builder of the church. Pastors or deacons are not the builders of the church. Jesus is the one who says, I will do it. I am the great church builder. Think about who's making this promise here. We've been learning in this series on the promises this summer that a promise is dependent upon the ability of the one making the promise to deliver on the thing promised, right? A promise is no good if a person can't deliver on the promise. And so think about who's making this promise. This is the one who has existed for all eternity in the fellowship of the Trinity. This is the one who spoke the universe into existence. This is the one who took on human flesh and lived a sinless life. This is the one who walked on water. This is the one who fed the 5,000 men with the loaves and the fish. This is the one who touched people with leprosy and instead of being unclean himself, actually immediately healed and made them clean. This is the one who defeated death itself. This is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. This is the one who gives life to those who come to him. This is the one with the authority to forgive sin This is the one in complete control of everything in all of the universe. And this is the one who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, if Jesus says He's going to do something, you better believe that He's going to do it. If Jesus makes a promise, You better believe that He is going to put all of His sovereign and omnipotent energy and passion behind accomplishing what He says He will do. There is nothing and no one who can thwart, who can stand in His way. The task of building the church does not depend upon men. Does not depend upon human beings. If it did, it would surely fail. Church family, we don't need the latest church growth strategy or gimmick to try to build Jesus' church. If we want to be a successful and fruitful church 75 years from now, we must trust the One who promised to build His church and be faithful to Him and to His Word. Jesus is the builder of the church and therefore Jesus gets the glory when the church is built. That's truth number one. Jesus is the great builder of His church. Secondly, the second encouraging truth I want you to see in this promise is that Jesus will certainly build His church. Jesus will certainly do it. He will certainly build His church. Notice how He communicates the certainty of this promise of the church being built. He says, I will build the, My church. I will build. Jesus doesn't say He might build. The church, Jesus doesn't say He will build it if something else happens, these various things go on. No, no. Jesus says He will build His church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the gates of the place of the dead will not prevail against it. I don't have it here in my notes, but remember a couple of weeks ago I shared that Charles Spurgeon quote where he said, if God says, I will he will. If God says, I shall, he shall. If God says, I shall not, or it shall not, it shall not be. And Jesus says, I will build, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church of Jesus will be built, and the building of his church is unstoppable. What we're a part of What this church has been doing for 75 years is an unstoppable purpose. All of Jesus' omnipotence is behind this action of building His church. Nothing, not even hell itself, can stop the Son of God, the Messiah, from fulfilling this promise. Now let's be clear on what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking here about the universal church in this promise. The big C church. The universal church, or sometimes called the invisible church, is made up of all Christians from all times and all places. The universal church is made up of all the people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. The gates of hell will not prevail against his blood bought people. And so, this is not a promise that any one individual local church will never have to close its doors or fade out of existence. A local church is made up of a group of Christians who gather in a particular location to carry out God's purposes for the universal church. And all through history, local churches have had to close their doors, some for good reasons, some for negative reasons. But this promise, when Jesus promises this, He's promising to build His universal church here, His blood-bought people, His family, His body, His bride. However, in saying that, individual local churches like this one, like Miller Heights Baptist Church, can find encouragement in this promise because our mission and our purpose is supposed to be the same as that of the universal church. We can rejoice in this promise in so much as we are committed in this location, in this gathering, to Jesus' purpose for His universal church And so the real question posed by this promise is, is our local church an adequate reflection of the church that Jesus is building with all believers from all times? Are we accomplishing Jesus' purpose in this location, in this city? If so, we have every right to claim this promise for ourselves. If our mission is the mission of the universal church, Jesus will build Miller Heights Baptist Church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Not prevail against what Jesus does in us and through us. So each local church, I think, needs to see themselves in a long line of faithful churches throughout history. 75 years is relatively short compared to the history of the church, but we're part of a stream We're part of a flow, a long line of faithful churches throughout history. And we need to realize that we're part of that big picture of Jesus fulfilling this promise of building His church. Like, think about it. We are here this morning as part of and because of the church that Jesus has been building throughout history. We're part of that. Like, we this morning are proof that Jesus is still fulfilling this promise that He made in Matthew 16. The certainty of this promise should cause us I think to evaluate our commitment to the local church. The church is not just a small piece of God's plan. The church is the centerpiece of Jesus' plan throughout all of history. Ephesians 3 says the church is the vehicle by which the the glory of God is displayed in all of creation. And therefore, the church should not be a small piece of our lives. The church should be the centerpiece of our lives as Christians, as people who follow Jesus. Because the church is the only organization or institution or organism, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, that has this promise attached to it. Right? Jesus never promised to build any parachurch organization. Jesus never promised to build a company that you work for or or some sports franchise or record label. Jesus promised to build the church. Amen. That's what all his energy and focus is on. We are part of something that's extraordinary. We are part of something that's, that's I, words fail to communicate the significance of what we are what we are part of. We are part of a movement that cannot fail. We are part of a plan that can never be thwarted. The building of Jesus' church is certain. Jesus will certainly do this. This is a promise you can take to the bank. He will certainly build it. Here's the third encouraging truth from this promise I want you to see. is this, the church belongs to Jesus. Notice from this promise that the church belongs to the one making the promise. Jesus is specific here as to which church he's building. He says, I will build my church. This should be a breathtaking thing for us to be part of the church that Jesus identifies with so closely. Jesus owns the church, it's his. It's His possession. It belongs to Him. It's His own body. His own bride. I was reading in my own devotional time this morning, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, you know, it's that famous passage of, of Saul, who later would become Paul, going to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was going to kill and imprison Christians. And you know the story, the risen Lord Jesus appears to him on the road to the Damascus. And you know what Jesus asked Paul, Saul at that time? He says, Saw, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Now, I could imagine if, if Saul would have not been humbled in that moment. He was totally humbled. But if he was not humbled, if he was prideful, he could have said, you, I could care less about you. I'm going to persecute those Christians. I'm going to, per- I'm going to shut down that church. And Jesus says, if you persecute my people, you persecute me. This is my people. This is my possession. This truth is so basic and yet it's so profound. The church belongs to Jesus. This church belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the head of His church, His body, and thus everything we are, friends, everything we do as a church must be in obedience to and for the glory of our head. Jesus is the one who owns the church. He's the one who calls the shots and He's the one who gets the glory. Church is not about getting a group of Christians together and just sort of all trying to decide what the best thing to do is. No, a church is a group of committed Christians who gather to obey Jesus, worship Jesus, listen to Jesus, remember Jesus, follow Jesus, and speak about Jesus. Jesus is the commander of the church. He has given us His Word to guide us and direct us. He has purchased the church with His own precious blood. He laid down His life for His bride and thus we are His. We belong to Him. There are many people who call themselves Christians today, Who despise the church? They say things like, Well, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. They say things like, Why can't we just all worship Jesus in our own way and and forget about all that organized religion? Friends, I've learned that the value of a thing is in direct proportion to the value of its owner. If Jesus owns the church, how valuable must the church be? You think about an example a wooden baseball bat is not very valuable. You pick up a wooden baseball bat for $20 or $30 at Walmart or a sports store. But what if it was a wooden bat used by Babe Ruth to hit a home run? It would be worth tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? The value of that wooden bat is dependent on its owner, on who owned it. And the same is true with the church. The way Jesus identifies Himself with His church should cause anyone who loves Jesus to love the church. The church is this valuable. It belongs to Him. And the value of it is caught up in the value of its owner. Jesus loves His church. He loves His bride. He loves His body. And therefore, He promises that I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, the church belongs to Jesus. It is His. We are His. That's the third truth. The church belongs to Jesus. Well, here's the fourth and the final truth I want you to see. Jesus is the foundation and center of His church. Jesus is the foundation and He's the center of His church. Now there's been a debate throughout history as to what Jesus means when He says here, on this rock I will build My church. And so what is the rock upon which the church is built? Roman Catholics base their entire papal system on these verses. They say that Jesus was here setting up Peter to be the first pope and that there has been an unbroken succession of popes since Peter who have been the rock, the foundation upon which the church is built. However, there's no evidence here or anywhere in the Bible that Peter is the first in a long line of popes who serve as foundation. When Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, He's referring to the confession that Peter just made about the person and work of the Messiah. The point of the whole text is in verse 16. Jesus is the rock. He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. And it's on that, it's on that truth, that confession, that Jesus is going to build His church throughout history. You see, Peter and the other apostles were entrusted with the Gospel message after Jesus' resurrection. And so, for example, in Ephesians 2, the apostles are called the foundation of the church that's being built. Now, that's not referring to the apostles themselves, right? That would be a pretty shaky foundation. But rather, that's a reference to the apostolic message, the apostolic gospel, with Jesus being the center and cornerstone. And so the rock upon which Jesus builds His church is the message that, listen, Jesus died for our sins, He was buried, He rose on the third day, and He appeared to many. This is the message that is of first importance upon which we are to stake our lives and build and center this church. The apostles preached a Christ-centered message. They handed down the gospel of the glory of the person and work of Jesus. And that's the foundation of Jesus' church. That's the rock upon which we are to be a part of building Jesus' church. So, the local church is a group of born again Christ followers who devote themselves to the message of the gospel. The church is founded on Jesus Himself, He is the center. He is the substance of the church's message. And so He's the rock upon which we stand, upon which the church stands. And all other ground is sinking sand. So Miller Heights Baptist Church, we must always ensure that Jesus is the center of everything we do, everything we are as a church. Without Jesus, we are nothing Without Jesus, we are just another social organization that will not be certainly built. Without Jesus, we'll just blow away with the wind. But founded on Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Jesus is more than enough for us. His Word is sufficient to guide us and govern us. His Spirit is powerful enough to change us. And His death on the cross is the only means of a right relationship with God, He will build His church. Our role is to be faithful to Him. He's the center, He's the foundation. And so let me close with this question How should this promise, this certain promise, make a difference in our lives? Here's the blatantly obvious application for our lives to this truth. If this is true, if Jesus promised this, then we should love the church that Jesus is building. We should love the church that Jesus is committed to loving. Like if Jesus loves the church this much, then we who love Jesus should love what He loves. That's the strongest argument I know for why we should love and care for the church because Jesus does. Some of you heard this John Stock quote. It's probably my favorite quote on the church. I've said it many times, but listen to it again. Stott said, if the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, it must also be central to our lives. He said, how can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? And so he says, don't take lightly what Jesus takes so seriously. So love the church. Love the church. And by that I mean, love the people of the church. How do you love the church? Love the church by loving the people of the church. By, by building relationships in the church. By being hospitable to those in the church. By having people over. By having coffee with people. By getting involved in people's lives. By driving people to a doctor's appointment. By helping someone with their lawn. Or, or by watching their kids. That, that's how you love the church. You love the church by loving the people of the church. One of the gifts we're going to give to all of our members today is a new church directory. You know those church directories, we've got a lot of old ones now sitting on the tables in there you you can look at. They're not just meant to be a, a memento that we can look back on, but they're a real practical tool that says, here are the people I'm supposed to love. Here are the people I'm committed to loving. Here are the people I'm committed to praying for and rejoicing with and weeping with. To love the people of the church, but also love the ministries of your church. Love the ministries. If the ministries that we do are, are what Jesus wants us to be doing and, and participate in his purpose and his mission for the church, then loving the church means loving what the church does. So love the church by attending the scheduled gatherings of the church. Love the church by serving and giving generously to the church, by being a part of the mission and purpose of. Sharing Jesus in this city and around the world. But also love the church by loving the leadership of the church. Loving the structure and organization. Like respect and pray for those who serve and teach in this church. Those who are committed to watching over your souls. And those who are committed to teaching you the truths of God's word. Love the church by by loving that leadership and submitting to it. And so be encouraged this morning as you think about this promise. This promise. Jesus promised He will build the church, but I want to say it this way. Jesus is building the church. Like That's what He's doing right now. He's in the process of building His church, which, which which I think we're a part of. He suffered and died and rose from the dead to ensure the success and the fruitfulness of His church. And so ask yourself that question. Are you part of the church that Jesus is building? Are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Is He the King of your life? Is He your most supreme treasure? If not, I urge you to turn away from whatever you're trusting in and run to Jesus this morning. What a great Sunday to trust in Jesus. He is a kind and merciful and great Savior. So let's all run to Him right now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to You. We thank You that You promised if we come to You, You will receive us and You will never cast us out so Lord, I pray all of this room, Your people would come to You, would find their hope and their joy and their peace in You. We thank You for this promise that You're building Your church and Lord, we pray You'd make us faithful to You. We pray You'd help us to be encouraged about what You're doing and that we would center our lives on what, what You've called us to center our lives on. We praise Your name. We give You the glory, the honor, and the praise for these 75 years. For every good thing this church has experienced, we praise You. We give You glory. We give You honor. And we give You praise. We give ourselves to You. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and praise the name of the Lord together.